Hello everyone. So today again we have Tim with us and as I have been just blabbing about this book for such a long time, Clara and the Sun, I finally have finished it and also oh, you have a different cover. We, we'll get to the difference of the uh, the covers in a bit. So uh, it's a book that I enjoyed immensely while I was reading it and I really wanted to talk about the book with someone. So Tim is here with us today. Uh, Tim, uh, I think your copy has the US cover and mine has a UK cover. So the UK cover looks something like this. I'm sorry for the glossy uh, cover, plastic cover that I've put on it. And uh, that's what the US cover looks like. Uh, we in India, we have these two editions. One is the paperback and the other is the hardcover. And it has like a gold, uh, gold spine and stuff. It's supposed to be this special thing now we also have this book in paperback mass market edition so that's also available now but uh, this was a large format print so i kind of found it more comfortable to read okay so uh, tim what was your reaction to this novel H how did you like it i was surprised I, I enjoyed it very much sometimes um ishiguro's work doesn't always mesh well with me have you read his um the one before this was the giant, the, the buried giant, the buried giant, yeah. and the one before that. Uh, no, no, I'm I'm wrong. What's the one about the clones? Never let me go. Never let me go. Yeah, yeah. See, I found never let me go was something of a plod, mm -hmm. but the the subject that it that it dealt with was so powerful, so heartbreaking. It looks at um, an economy where clones are an industry where rich people can have clones a clone made of themselves and these clones are raised from childhood understanding that their sole purpose in life is spare parts so they all understand that eventually they're going to end up in the hospital losing this organ or that organ and that eventually this organ donation will be their death but they've accepted it they know that's their purpose in life. So it's a pretty strong novel, but it's also hard to read. Just the pacing, the plotting. And with many of Ishiguro's works like this, this kind of sci-fi, it seems to, he enjoys, Ishiguro enjoys not letting you understand fully what's happening until more than halfway through the novel. And I think Clara and the Sun was the same way. You Definitely. don't really get a full focus of what's wrong with the human child, Josie, and what is the mother planning to do until more than halfway through the novel. More than two thirds, I believe. Yeah, more than two thirds. Yes. Brutal. What I felt was uh, very fascinating uh, in this book, the way of writing and the writing style and all of that was that he would want to tell you something and he would not tell you in a direct upfront way so he will show you what's happening in the world hmm. to make you understand what he wants to say you know generally the the writing techniques many authors follow is they take up a fixed set of characters and they tell you the story through those characters and what happens to them in clara and the sun it was more like what's happening in the world and uh, th that's what was affecting these people and that's how he was explaining what the world situation is like he wasn't using these characters as his primary tools to tell mm -hmm. you you know what the setup was which i thought was uh which which can 
which can be a little irritating in the beginning because you go like okay so what is the story what's happening why is it why is the story not progressing and what why do i need to know about this party where these people have come and what are they talking about and how is this relevant to the story you know why isn't anything moving ahead but as you move on you understand what was what what, what the author was trying to say yeah interesting i think this book is offered first person narrative clara's viewpoint and Clara is a, a robot, an artificial friend, an AF, a, a humanoid developed to keep company for lonely children. She's a glorified doll. So we get the entire narrative through Clara's viewpoint, and she's not, she doesn't feel the need to explain anything to the reader. She's just simply expressing what she sees and understands. And she's already come into the world without the gift that we all have of going through childhood and learning slowly through infancy, through adolescence to adulthood and seeing the world and our culture and knowing it, she's just awakened one day, it seems in a store window. Fully a, conscious. Yeah. yeah. Fully conscious. So we start seeing the world through that narrator's eyes and gradually we start seeing beyond what she has said through her observations. Like we understand it's a dystopian world. This is not an ideal world they live in. There has been some sort of um, economic distress. There's tremendous injustice in terms of equality, opportunity. Racism still exists. Uh, I believe there's probably some sort of environmental collapse that's happened. We don't know. And we never really do find out exactly. We just get hints of it. Yes. And you as the reader have to make up your mind or use let your imagination tell you what's going on yeah. or what's happened. And I think that's done very, very wonderfully and masterfully in the novel. And even the idea of racism is kind of inverted according to my interpretations. It was inverted you know, upside down. Uh, and they're shown very differently. A lot of other authors have also done. David Mitchell also keep keeps doing that quite frequently. Uh, what I found uh, primarily chilling towards the end of the novel was that the realization that the AF has a better understanding of human emotions than humans do themselves. Hmm. So that was something which, you know, uh, came very starkly because towards the end when uh, Rick's, uh, Rick is applying for the uh, admission and the mother is trying to, you know, work her way through and then they uh, they come back and Clara says that he probably will because he still loves you and all of that so and the mother wasn't sure that you know what was happening and what would happen and all of that so th that bit I found very in interesting that the AFs understand human emotions better than mm. we humans ourselves do and the child shall lead them yeah but it was uh, it was very uh, upsetting also that you know uh, the imagination of a world where kids will not really have any friends or you know any family members to really look after them and help them grow up uh, they'll just be left with uh, these artificial friends and that, that was something which was very unnerving to imagine yeah. but i can very well see that happening yeah see there's there's something that happened in society it's the the mother is raising her child, Josie, alone by herself. She has a housemaid to help her raise the child, but she's very much alone. The husband is divorced from her, and he lives in some sort of a gated community. The wife 
somehow accuses the husband of being some sort of a, a racist, you can see it's very much almost like a criticism of the Trump movement, where white people feel that other races have gotten advantages and the white people are no longer privileged. And the father is living among that sort of gun-toting, insecure social community. So something's happened socially that makes this world feel very divided, very unsafe, very alone. There's also a social movement against the, the Claras, against the artificial friends. Yes, yes, yes. So they themselves are in danger of people who want to attack them and hurt them. Yeah, which kind of becomes very uh, clear and apparent towards the end. You know, also, I kind of uh, found it very, so when I started reading the book, you know, I was marking it left, right and center, and I was making so many notes and all of that, but but it, it kept kind of pulling down my reading speed. So, so I stopped <laughs> doing that because it was actually becoming a barrier for me to uh, read it. But I love how, you know, slowly and steadily it was portrayed that Clara is an artificial intelligence, mm. artificial intelligence, but, but she's different from the others. She has a yes. different way of uh, observing. She has a different way of behaving. She has different sensitivities and mm -hmm. all of that. And also the uh, the thought process and uh, psychology, if we can call it that, of an artificial intelligence was very close to uh, the, the ways a child would think. It was very mm -hmm. simplistic and straightforward and uncomplicated. And mm -hmm. these things, I think, uh, are what really catch your attention when you start reading this book because they are handled so beautifully. They are done so beautifully that that just these are these feelings just jump off the pages to the reader yeah yeah it's a delightful simplicity of of style also fascinating to see how this robot understands or comprehends without addressing what she comprehends there's a scene early on in the novel where josie is having an actual um, in-house party with other teenagers uh, I think Josie is 14 years old. Um, Josie is having a party with yeah. a handful of other teenagers who have also um, are also planning on maybe going or applying to the same sort of school. There's an important plot development. We should get to it in a moment. But to finish this thought, Clara is introduced to Josie's real friends or real classmates at this party. And the other classmates just want to treat her like a like a toy. And they say, one of the boys says, oh, I have a newer model. Mine is even better. She can do this. Can can Clara land on her legs if I throw her up in the air? That kind of not treating Clara as a human. And I don't remember exactly how Clara deals with it, but she, how do we say, I think she steps, steps back and is not able to criticize. So in a strange way, it's also almost a portrayal of slavery. It very much is, it very much is. Mm. And it very adequately uh, shows the other side. Uh, a lot of other books have done that as well in the past. Uh, this one also does that. So uh, that also is something which was very potently described in this novel. So Tim, when I was reading this novel, I kept classifying it differently at different parts of the novel. Uh, when I started uh, reading this, I, I honestly didn't look at it as 
science fiction but as it kept progressing uh, I did start to identify it as science fiction and then later on I was thinking would speculative fiction be a more appropriate term for this or or what science fiction uh, would be so uh, how do you identify this how do you interpret this and uh, classify this as a genre I would I'm not speaking with a voice of authority here I'm just speaking from my my simple shallow understanding I would say speculative fiction is more of a catch-all umbrella phrase that includes science fiction and fantasy fiction and magical realism. Yeah, I think speculative fiction is the safe way of addressing this kind of writing without getting people all twisted up in knots of anger and categorization fury. Science fiction, I've always taken it as being science used in fiction. So if you think of any of the most prominent or popular science fiction works, there's always the presence of science or technology. The traditional has always been space exploration technology. Lately, it's much more dystopian, social, artificial intelligence style um, science. But it's always, I've always remembered the definition being that science must be in the fiction. Mm-hmm. And that's why maybe some science fiction can be really dull. I think you once told me you did not totally enjoy The Martian because there's a little bit too much science, science and not enough storytelling. Happening. Yeah. yeah. Well, speculative. I can't even say the word speculative fiction is that speculation that throwing about of ideas that what if so that could include what if dragons existed what if people were as tall as a cup of coffee you know that's speculation it's fun it's playful it can be magical it can be supernatural so you could also qualify horror as speculative fiction, but horror also has that aspect of it that is not supernatural or weird, like the slashers or mass murderer story. There's nothing speculative about that, but there is something horrific. So anyway, yeah, I would say science fiction is speculative fiction. Just let's call it science fiction because I'm having trouble saying the word speculative. Okay. Uh, talking about this, uh, I kind of, I'm thinking that, you know, uh, back in the olden days when uh, uh, the science fiction was being identified as a genre, hmm. early 20s, we may say, and then uh, all the way till the 50s, probably, hmm. uh, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, the classics. The classics. So The 50s ha- and 60s when Ray Bradbury and um, uh, Isaac... Asimov. Isaac. Asimov, thank you. I almost said Isaac Newton. Wrong <laughs> apple. Uh, so, but, but uh, before, uh, uh, like before Ray Bradbury, I would say, uh, they were primarily utopian setups and some issues mm. were always cropping up. That, that mm-hmm. was what generally used to happen in science fiction. But now that, uh, now the, the, the most of the recent science fiction that we get, the idea is that it's a dystopian world. It's no longer, yeah. almost never a utopia. 
almost yeah. never and then there are further more problems so so why do you think this shift has come uh, in this genre like so starkly and and what's the reason behind this <laughs> cuz we're living in dystopia but, but utopian uh, dreams gave us nightmares like um, the soviet union or mao's china or the khmer rouge in cambodia all of those were utopian ideas gone wrong nightmarishly wrong and now we're living in greater dystopias we we're all terrified of um, global warming of environmental catastrophe you know how's the temperature where you're living um we're all terrified of everything's going wrong around us oh pandemic thank you so it's kind of a warning that this is already happening and we don't want things to go any further so uh, this cannot go unnoticed and you need to pay attention to this yeah yeah it's so interesting because in the 60s and 50s the fear was nuclear war now we've i think we've had threats of nuclear war from the ukrainian invasion and putin has mentioned it and when trump was president there was Korea's Kim and the you know Trump saying I have rockets bigger than your rockets and yet today it doesn't seem like younger people or even our generation is that afraid of our generation I'm making myself young like you is that afraid of nuclear holocaust but when I was a child and when my parents when my older brothers were roaming the earth those days of dinosaurs nuclear holocaust was a real fear but nowadays our real fear is that someday we're all going to overheat we're all going to die of a of a zombie plague things like that so that's maybe why artists are addressing these fears with their fictions there's a lovely collection of stories from writers from south asia um it's called i can't remember the title shame on me but it's a collection of south asian writers uh short fiction and almost every single one of those stories is a dystopia with one exception of of a beautiful utopian story it's one of tarun saints um collections you know talking it's about a, the one that hashit came out with not that one this was in between that first volume and the second volume that just came out a few months ago okay okay no this is a bilingual it's italian and english that has one utopian story and it's delightful it's about a um a technology that has been able to mix uh plants with machines so that it's creating solar power that can power this whole city in india and then they're noticing that their older towers of power are shutting down and the newer ones are taking over and so the chief engineer as she's walking through a small village and commenting about how they've used they're using traditional architectural methods to save energy and keep the houses cool while in the hills these solar towers are providing energy for the big city and she comes to realize that the solar towers themselves are are growing just like a plant grows old and replaces itself with new leaves so these solar 
power trees are replacing themselves. The newer ones are coming online and killing the older ones. So it's just this beautiful utopian story that there is hope. And the hope comes from thinking in the future with technological skill and thinking in the past with traditional skills. Mm-hmm. So it sounds very interesting. Do let me know the name uh, of the book. I'll I'll put it in the description so that anyone who's interested can uh, go through that. Uh, funny, uh, we're talking about uh, solar power because Clara and the Sun also, uh, mm. you know, uh, revolves around this only idea. Very interestingly, uh, you know, yeah. uh, it, it has so much of subtext. It's so rich with mm-hmm. subtext because so uh, humans uh, create uh, the AFs. Yeah. They very simply identify sun as their god because that's mm-hmm. where the power comes from and that's why they start worshipping the sun yeah and and then in turn the artificial intelligence generate uh, a religion so so that was again something which uh, you were mentioning about uh, a little while ago and which which i thought was quite fascinating uh, by the way the book is called avatar a v a t a r okay okay the Clara and the Sun, what I found fascinating about that is how she turns her solar power into a religion. That was something that I found so amazing in this novel. Even a robot can discover God. Yeah. That's, and she, she makes that bargain with God. Because in this novel, the human child, Josie, the human teenager, is possibly dying. So Clara makes that deal with the sun, like many people do with a god. If you give me this, then I'll give you that. And Clara's compromise or Clara's offer is she will destroy this polluting machine. Yeah, In my imagination, I see it as some sort of a street construction vehicle. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you see street workers, they're driving those uh construction vehicles i guess that's the best i can come up with mm-hmm. but all of them are are very heavily gas powered and they all put out a lot of diesel fumes from mm-hmm. their their smokestacks so i i just felt like it's some sort of road work vehicle that she sees from the window of her shop and she sees that it's making so much air pollution and she doesn't realize this company has so many because it has to keep repairing the streets. So she goes on that environmental terrorist mission. She makes the deal with the, with the sun. If you save Josie, my human friend, then I will destroy one of, I will destroy this monster. Yeah. I'll kill the dragon. Yeah. Yeah. You know, another thing uh, which obviously this book talks about is the idea of replacing humans Uh, by Mm -hmm. transferring their consciousness to someone and it has a very interesting uh, final take on that let's not Mm -hmm. give it out let's uh, let that be the reason for someone to pick up the book and uh, see what they have to say there you just said spoilers be damned and here you go (laughs) okay so we'll discuss that Uh, so we don't uh, have to uh, no maybe uh, uh, okay we'll 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 talk around that's something that is interesting and, and discover it less than halfway through the novel is the whole reason that Clara has to make this bargain with the son is because Josie is possibly dying. 
and Josie's older sister has died. And this is really part of that dystopian environment that we're never, never told about, but we have to assume or we have to make our own connections in our mind. They're, they are living in some sort of economic system where in order to be economically successful, you have to go to college. In order to go to college, you have to not just have money, but you have to be super intelligent, really smart. And in order to be really smart, parents are having their children genetically modified, changed. And sometimes this genetic modification doesn't work and the children will die. So Josie's older sister has died. And now, even with that experience, the mother has decided, because again, this is a single family. The father is not a part of this picture that much. The mother makes all the decisions. Even with the experience of having lost her first daughter because of this genetic change, the mother still decides to get her daughter, Josie, genetically modified. And then Josie gets sick. And that's where Clara comes into the picture in the, the plot giveaway that you don't want to discuss. So uh, what a world. Yeah, that's what I was going to uh, uh, say that, you know, uh, it's a very disturbing world that they're living in. Yeah. Um, but, but it's been very masterfully balanced that it doesn't hit you like that. You know, mm-hmm. uh, th- there's so much of scary stuff that is happening mm-hmm. in the book, but it's it's narrated in a way that, uh, you know, it, it doesn't disturb you the way it could have. Or maybe in the other way around, the, the way that it's presented is even more terrifying because we, the reader, come to this understanding very gradually. And when we do realize what kind of a world they're living in, we're just blown away because we've come into it. We, we've, we've slowly walked into our comprehension instead of just being told. Maybe if the novel had just told us, we wouldn't be so emotionally affected. Have you ever read Flowers for Algernon? No. The novella? No. It's, I think it's from the 70s. And it's very similar in that it's narrated from the point of view of a mentally handicapped young man. He's got a job as a security guard in a company, and he can hardly read. Um, he can hardly write. But somebody gives him an offer at the company where he works. Someone gives him the offer to take part in these experiments that will increase his intelligence. And as he increases his intelligence, his writing, the first person narrative, improves. The spelling is better. The sentence construction is better until he reaches the point where he's a genius. And once he's a genius, he discovers he can fall in love and have a relationship. But then things go wrong and he very gradually and we see the digression in his writing style he very very gradually goes back to his mentally or intellectually handicapped state and then we know that he goes even further and he dies i think clara and the sun was very much affected by that very famous short story flowers for algernon and heartbreaking 
So Tim, uh, I just, I got to know that this book was initially supposed to be young adult fiction. It was supposed to be a oh, really? YA novel, and hmm. but later on it was decided uh, not to pitch it like that. But but looking at it now and reading it and thinking about it, it does talk about the uh, the age group and it does focus on the age group and all of that. So I can see why someone would uh, identify it as a young adult novel. But but what? But what's your response to this? The idea that it, 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 can we address this as young adult fiction? I have a very low opinion of young adult fiction because I've read a couple of books that just when I was finished reading them, I thought this is so narratively and intellectually simple. I don't know why I've just spent the past five or six hours reading this book. You know, I could watch friends on tv or something like that um so i've i've come away with a very bad opinion of young adult because i just feel i want something a little bit more challenging i can see that it could have been written as young adult but certain passages the 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 nuance of the way the world is developed in this novel and some of the depth of the philosophical basis of what we discover is the real crisis. You said it takes place about three quarters of the way through the novel. We we really see what's going on. And there's a philosophical discussion of that. And at the heart of it is the question, what is human? Can a human be replicated? Is Clara human? And it never really settles that discussion. Although at the very end, there's that one um, section, that one sentence where Clara discusses this directly, and I'll leave that up to you. But no, I don't think, I think it could have been young adult, but the depth of philosophy and the the narrative style itself would have been cut back a bit. You know what, what I think? Back in the day, you know, when uh, Ursula K. Le Guin was writing young adult and a few other, Robin Hobb was also writing young adult and a few other authors, but doing a wonderfully phenomenal job with that. The quality and the philosophical level was way yeah. higher than mm. uh, what we have today for young adult fiction. Because I read uh, this Earth Sea Cycle, a few books from the Earth Sea Cycle, and uh, I could see where it was going, and and it was it was quite something. I have been dealing with uh, teenagers, you know. I've been um, uh, conducting these workshops. And I am so many times taken aback by how smart those teenagers are and how much they know. You know, it's like, I I would not even expect them to know so many things, but they already do. And at times they actually know more than what I have already covered. So, you know, I can very well see this as a young adult fiction in the 70s, but I can't see it a young adult fiction right now. You know, uh, Tim, I always feel that good science fiction will always use science and uh, scientific theories, advancements, projections, all of that. And at the heart of the novel would always be that one ethical, moral, ethical, moral or philosophical. Uh, I like this miracle. Welcome to my world. 
<laughs> I do it a lot. Tuesday. <laughs> I, I do it a lot. At times, I don't even realize that I have uh, mispronounced something. Anyway, so at the heart of the story would always be this moral, ethical question, idea, or philosophy that it pushes through and and makes you look at it. I just started watching the new Star uh, Trek series. Every episode comes up with something like that. This book also uh, touched that. It it talks about the idea of love the the idea of human heart not biologically but otherwise and it it comments upon you know whether a person can be completely replicated and replaced so and very interestingly uh, how the book concludes is it says that you cannot replace a person because the Mm. person as themselves are not special what makes them special is the special place they have in your heart mm-hmm. and if you use artificial intelligence and you replace that person completely uh, physically and mentally and emotionally yeah even then your response is not gonna be exactly the same as it was for the real person and that's why uh, you can never replace a human being and expect to have the same kind of love in your heart and your world not missing anything out of it. I thought that was very beautifully put, which which is such a simple thought and uh, it was so profoundly put through. So Tim, your final thoughts about Clara and the Sun, like uh, it was uh, shortlisted for the Booker Prize and it didn't make it. But I believe his uh, previous novel, Remains of the Day. Remains of the Day, he won the Booker for that. I think Clara and and the Sun is a novel that your workshop students might enjoy if they want an example of how to write simply and yet with also incredible depth using suggestion and just a first person narrator who assumes that you the reader understand because you're part of her world um it's it's a brilliant style that they can enjoy reading and there's nothing incomprehensible about the novel, except perhaps the way Clara sees the world. That I had a difficulty understanding. That that was something which I didn't really get, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm thinking, to me, that was fascinating that as a robot, she sees the world in that Boxing. sectioned off yeah. pixelations. Yeah. That when she sees something, it takes up uh, 25% of her screen or... A hundred percent of her screen. It's it's a fascinating idea. Hmm. Other than that, everything in this novel is completely straightforward and simple. Yeah, straightforward and comprehensible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'd I'd recommend it for the for your students. Yeah. So Tim, thank you so much uh, for this wonderful discussion. I'm sure those who were listening must have gained a lot out of this conversation, in terms of uh, how science fiction is dealt and how we read it and what are the interpretations and all of that lastly what are you reading these days anything interesting that you're reading (laughs) i don't know about interesting um i just recently finished hang on there a while ago i finished perma red native american uh, story Mm -hmm. and what i found fascinating about this is the whole novel is about one man's or two men's attempt to win the heart of one woman. And of these two men, one of them tries to use witchcraft 
it's mm-hmm. fascinatingly dark, the beginning of this novel. Mm-hmm. I'm reading right now a Singaporean novel called um, The Shrimp People, mm-hmm. which looks at the 1950s and 60s setting of Malaysia and Singapore uh, from the viewpoint of um, a, a group of, they were Eurasians, mm-hmm. uh, Portuguese and Malaysian ancestry. So racially mixed, not pure Malaysian, not pure Chinese. And I've known nothing about this group in Singapore or Malaysian history. Okay, Tim, so thank you so much for this. And uh, let's do it again sometime soon. And until then. Sure, sure. It's always a pleasure. And thank good luck so- with your new uh, workshop classes. Yeah, thanks. 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 Yeah, have okay. fun. Thank you. All right. The kids are lucky to have such an excellent teacher. Well, <laughs> you're too kind. Okay. Thanks, Tim. All right, man. Hey, okay. Good night. Good night. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, bye.